Good morning. He is risen. All right. Good job. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The earliest confessions of the church. He is risen. That is the reason that we gather on Sunday mornings, and that's the reason we're gathering this morning. And we're glad that you're with us today as we think through and as we, again, uh, just encounter the truth that our Savior does indeed live, not as an idea, not as a spirit, not as a ghost, but He is alive. He is alive. And we're going to be celebrating that throughout the morning. We're glad you're here today, wherever you are, uh, whether you're on campus in the gym or in Building A or on the radio or online, we're glad that you're with us. We have uh, a really, really good-looking good group of folks here today. Nice to see you this morning. Everybody, y'all dressed so nice and it's always good to see you on Easter Sunday morning. We welcome you. We're going to take a moment to read Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is not uh, an, an unfamiliar text or an uncommon text, but I would like for us to, uh, to just look at it again for a few moments this morning. I won't keep you long. I know that uh, there's a lot of things going on on Easter Sunday for many of us, and and so I'm not going to preach a long time, but I do want to just touch on two or three very, very important points today. Let's begin reading, if you would, with me, please, in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. There's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You may have brought one in with you. You have a phone. It's on. You brought a scroll, uh, or you can watch the screen. So we're going to read together 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Now, I know this sounds a little uh, complicated in some ways. Paul was a lawyer and a rabbi, uh, so he was making a legal argument here, really, and, and I think it's important that we try to track with it. For if the dead are not raised, he said, then not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And all God's people said, amen. amen. The first fruits, those who have fallen asleep. Let's pray. Father, may the power of your resurrection meet us here today in a way that um, maybe some have never experienced before. Maybe their, their lives are, are really spiritually dead right now. Maybe it's just hard for them to even sit in this room this morning and, and listen and try to grasp some of the truth of Easter. But wake us up, Lord. Bring us to life. And I pray that if there are those here today who need to be raised from death to life, that this may be the day that they encounter the power of your resurrection. May we pray with Paul, with your word, Lord, that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable even unto his death. And Lord, help us to live in the power of that resurrection. 
always. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. You know, a, a gentleman <clears throat> opened his front door one morning, and, and his, uh, his dog was sitting on the front porch staring at him with, of all things, a dead rabbit in his mouth. Now, you don't want to see your dog with a dead rabbit in his mouth first thing in the morning, but it's worse than that. This particular rabbit, as he looked at it, had a pink ribbon around its neck. And, and the guy realized immediately, this rabbit belongs to my next door neighbor and their children who have been keeping a pet rabbit in their backyard for a long time. And it was a prize winning rabbit. So we had a couple of options. One option was to do the right thing, which means I'm going to go to my neighbor and say, hey, my dog got in your cage and, and took your rabbit, killed your rabbit. I'm so sorry. He said, but then we'll have to move and leave the neighborhood. Or I can, I can exercise plan B, which is, and that's what he did. He took the rabbit into his bathroom, took it under the, under the bathtub water and cleaned the rabbit, cleaned all the dirt off of it. The teeth marks covered them up. Got a blow dryer, blew, blew its hair dry. Realized that ribbon was dirty and had mud all over. So he ran to a, a, a convenience store, got some ribbon, came back and tied a new pink ribbon around its neck, cleaned it all up. And that night, he snuck into his neighbor's backyard and put the rabbit back in the cage, shut the door. Well, he didn't hear anything for a few days, but... Over the weekend, he and his neighbor were out in the backyard at the same time working. And his neighbor yelled at him and said, hey, Frank, come over here for a minute. And he thought, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. So he walked over. He said, you know, Frank, I've lived in this neighborhood for a long time. But he said, I'm starting to think there's some really sick people in this neighborhood. And Frank said, really? Why do you think that? He said, well, you know, my kid's pet rabbit died last week. And we had a funeral for it and everything, buried it in the backyard. <laughs> and somebody came along and dug that rabbit out of the ground, cleaned it up, put a new ribbon on it, and put it back in the cage like nothing had happened. He said, Frank, I meet some really sick people around here. There's some really sick people. You know, you have, you have a couple of options when it comes to Easter, folks. You either believe that Easter happened exactly like the Bible said it did. Paul said earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered unto you that which was of first importance, and that is that Jesus died for our sins. He died, physically died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again on the third day. Now, you believe that, and that's what the Bible says happened. And not only that, but Jesus appeared to Peter, to disciples, other disciples, and to up to 500 people at one time. He believed that. You either believe that, or you believe that the whole resurrection story is just a really sick joke that the disciples of Jesus cooked up to try to deceive the whole world. Let me tell you how serious they were about their joke. 11 of the 12 died to defend it. Now, I've been in on some practical jokes before, but never one that I would die for. 
But you have two options. Either you believe it, you believe the historic truth of the Christian faith that Jesus died on a cross, was buried, he rose again physically on the third day, or you believe it's a hoax, it's a joke, a really sick joke. In the early church, there were those who wondered and who questioned. In fact, Paul is addressing Christian people in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So he's asking the question in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, if, if Christ is proclaimed, if he's preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? So in the first century, within 10 years of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there were those who were going, did that really happen? Is that really true? So Paul is now defending the reality that it is, in fact, true, and we do need to believe what the Bible says about it, and it's very important. In fact, what I want to do today is give you three reasons why it is extremely important that we believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is this significant? Why does it matter to you today? Why is it important to any of us today? What is this all about? Why are we going through all of this uh, and, and, and all of the things, we go out and we buy new clothes, we do all kinds of stuff to get ready for Easter. Why is it even important? It's not about the Easter bunny. You know, the Easter bunny did not come back from the dead on Easter morning. Nor did Jesus, as one little girl was explaining to a friend, nor did Jesus come out of the grave, see his shadow, and go back into the tomb, and there were six more weeks of winter. That's not what happened. But we get confused. We get confused about it. In fact, the people of Paul's day were confused. The, the Greeks and the Romans believed in that day that when you died, the gift of death was to free you from the body. So they couldn't imagine the good news of a gospel that said you get to come back from the dead in a body. They're going, uh-uh, I don't want to do that. I'm trying to get out of this thing. That's not what I want. The Jews did not have a category for understanding that a resurrection of one man, a single solitary man, could happen. They believed that resurrection happens to everybody at the end of time, but they couldn't understand how did one person, how does it happen to one person? So they were confused, and the early Christians were influenced by these strains of thought as people worked through this. But let me give you three reasons, and Paul, I'm just pulling these out of Paul's argument, three reasons why it's important for us to believe and embrace and hold to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First of all, because of the resurrection, we have forgiveness of our sins, not guilt. Now, all of us know the pain of living in guilt to some extent. All of us understand that guilt is incredibly painful, and it gets worse and worse and worse. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, not just because of his death on the cross, that was great, but it, it meant nothing if he was not resurrected. So because of his death and resurrection, we can have forgiveness instead of guilt. You know, sin is really, you know, Paul said, if you, if you don't believe this, if, if the resurrection has not happened, then we are still in our sins, the Bible says in verse 17. Sin is a word that most of us would rather not talk about or even think about. Uh, I only bring it up because it's at the center of why Jesus died on the cross. Sin is not what most of us think it is. All of us can think about a person that we know who is a real sinner. Let's go through the list. You know, the bigots, 
the uh, uh, you know, uh, drug addicts, drunks, you know, they're all sinners. People who curse, people who are gay, people who don't like people who are gay, people who are sexually promiscuous, people who hate, people who disagree with us politically, people who kill, abortionists, and those who lie. Those people, those are sinners, not me. We have our understanding who sinners are. My granddaughter does not like smoking. My seven-year-old granddaughter will go to war with you if, you if you get near her with a smoldering cigarette. In fact, she was telling her parents the other day that she believed there should be 11 commandments and not 10. And the 11th should be, thou shalt not smoke. We were, she was, I was sitting with her last week and, and we were sitting in her, their, their loft area and she's serenading me. She wrote a song on her three-string ukulele and, you know, she's playing and plunking along on her song and, and, you know, and then she stops and she looks at me and she said, Poppy, what is sin? Now, I didn't expect to have a conversation with my seven-year-old granddaughter about sin in that particular moment. So I thought for a moment, how do you explain sin to a seven-year-old? I said, well, you know, let's, let's take the word sin. Sin, S-I-N, has the letter I in the middle of it. Sin is when we put I in the middle of everything. Sin is when we decide that our opinion, our ideas of what we want to do is more important. Sin is going our own way. I rules everything. Ignoring God. Ignoring that God is real and has a claim on your life. The Bible says all we like sheep have turned astray. We've gone everyone to our own way. You may not be an outspoken atheist or an agnostic. You may not even, you know, you might even be a moral and kind person and you're nice to animals, but sin goes deeper than your behavior. We stop defining sin on the surface. We say, well, sin is when you do this or don't do that or you act this way or you think that way or you have that attitude. That means you're a sin. No, sin is an indication. It's a symptom of a nature that you have inside of you that's inclined toward rebellion against God. And the Bible says every human being has that nature. Every person. It doesn't matter how it manifests itself, how it shows itself, you have that nature inside of you. The Bible says all have sinned. And you know, Romans 125 says the problem is sin means we, we elevate creation above the creator. We worship the things that God has made and not the God who made them. We choose the wrong thing. We choose the wrong way. We choose it over and over and over and over again. Have you noticed that in yourself? Have you seen that? You know what's wrong, but you keep doing the wrong thing over and over and over again, expecting that at some point, if I do this enough, it's gonna make me feel good. It doesn't. It makes you feel guilty. As the Bible defines it, sin reduces God and elevates you. To sin is to be alienated, to be cut off from God. When you're alienated from God, you also immediately find that you're alienated from other people. Do you ever wonder why you can't get along with your wife, sir? Do you wonder why you can't get along with people that you work with, your boss, your coworkers, your school classmates? Do you wonder why you can't get along with your parents? 
And maybe most noticeably, do you wonder why you can't get along with yourself? You know what, the, what counselors call that? They call it being disintegrated. We are, we are torn apart on the inside. We are not integrated as human beings. And it makes it difficult for us to, to get along with anybody. Sin, when we're alienated from God, we are automatically alienated from other people and even from ourselves. That's what sin does to us. That's where sin leaves us. When Jesus went to the cross, he died in physical pain, mental and emotional anguish for us as he became sin who knew no sin, but he also died in spiritual anguish and darkness forsaken by God so you would not have to be forsaken by God. So you could become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus purchased our way to God at the cross that we might become the righteousness of God. When we sin, we push away from God. We push away from others. We as Christians, when we find ourselves living in sin, we, we separate ourselves from church. We don't want to come to church. I don't want to hang around those, those hypocrites and those righteous people. Why are you saying that? Why are you feeling that way? Because you are living in sin, and it makes you push away from other people. The apostle Peter denied Jesus three times. Third time he denied him. He called down curses from heaven on Jesus to prove, I don't want anything to do with this man. When Jesus came back from the dead on Easter Sunday morning, Peter missed it. He wasn't there. But an angel met the women at the tomb, and the angel said this, go tell his disciples and Peter, Make sure that Peter knows that Jesus wants to see him. Find Peter, the sinner. Peter, the betrayer. Peter, the failure. Peter, the guilty. Invite him to the party because that's what the gospel does. It invites broken sinners to the party. The resurrection is the party. And Jesus doesn't want you to miss it. Maybe your name's not Peter, but you can say, I've sure denied Jesus. I betrayed him. I'm living alienated and estranged from God, but the gospel will bring you home. Secondly, we have hope instead of despair. We have, we have forgiveness instead of guilt. Secondly, we have hope instead of despair. If in this life only we have hope, Peter, or Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we have a present hope. He said, if you just have hope, if the resurrection just makes us better people for here and now, he said that we're pretty pitiful. That's literally what he said. We're pretty pitiful people. If the, if the gospel doesn't do anything but help us now, that's great, but that's really kind of pitiful. But the reality is the gospel of Jesus Christ brings us hope not only now, but into eternity. It's a living hope. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead in Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.9 says. The first witnesses at the tomb on resurrection morning were women. Early on the first day of the week, the Bible said, the women came to the tomb. By the way, if the disciples were going to make up a story to try to fool the world, let me tell you what they would not do. They would not put women in the story as the first people to see the resurrection. Women had no status, no esteem in that culture. They were not trusted in that culture. 
So what unlikely witnesses to the most important event in human history? Women were there first. They came to the gravesite in despair that Sunday morning in the early hours of the day while it was still dark. They came, but listen, they came to the grave. They didn't come and say, oh, let's get to the tomb so we can see the resurrection happen. They didn't believe that. They didn't expect that. They didn't have any idea that was going to happen. They were going to the tomb to embalm a body, period. What they were met with. And Mary, Mary was in despair. Mary, this woman out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons, this, this woman was in absolute brokenness and despair. You, you know how she feels if you've ever gone to the cemetery on the day after the funeral and you've looked at that grave and the dead flowers laying across that ground, those tears that you choked back, that was what Mary was choking back. You know how that felt. She was in despair. And it was early morning, and the, the, it was not completely light yet. And a figure came to her, and she assumed it was the groundskeeper. And she said, sir, my friend, my friend was here. Where have you moved his body? Where did you put him? He's, he was here, and now he's not here. Where did you put his body? And then that figure spoke to her and said, Mary. There was only one person in the world that could say her name like Jesus said it. And she looked up and she said, Rabbi, Master. And then fell at his feet, embraced him. She wasn't going to let him go. You know why? Because she found hope. I'm not, not going to let go of you ever again. And you know what? She didn't. She never let go of him again. Oh, physically she released him, but not in her heart. It's a wonderful thing to find hope when you've been living in despair. It's a wonderful thing. You know, we live in a culture of despair today. Everywhere you look, every headline, COVID, wars, children killed at schools, economic upheaval, confusion, unrest, tornadoes, earthquakes, uncertainty about the future, despair is having a heyday. Christian person, listen to me. Those of you who know the power of the resurrection, listen to me. You have never been in a world that needs Jesus more than the world you're in right now. And you have no right to be silent about what you know. You have no right to keep this to yourself. The power of the resurrection can make all the difference to people today. Why is the church silent? Why are we being quiet? You can be born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a hope that transcends despair. It's a hope that gives you new life, a new beginning. Jesus endured the ultimate despair for you so you would never have to experience it so we could finally live with hope. But finally, let me stop here. We have life instead of death. We have life instead of death. We have forgiveness instead of guilt. We have hope instead of despair. And we have life instead of death. 
In Luke chapter 24, as the, as the women came to the tomb, we're given another piece of the puzzle. And, and from this angle, what we hear are angels speaking to the women at the tomb and asking them a very, very blunt, obvious question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? What are you doing here? He's not here. Why are you coming to the cemetery looking for your loved one? They're not here. He's risen, as he said. Why, why do we get excited about Easter? I hope you do. Why do you? It's not, it's not about the chocolate Easter eggs. Come on. That's not what gets it for you. Why do we get excited? Let me tell you the day that Easter changed for me. Easter changed for me on April the 16th, 2017. When I stood in front of you, many of you that were here, and announced to you that the next day my wife was going to be going for brain surgery for a massive glioblastoma tumor that they found. I walked out that day, didn't know if I'd ever come back. I didn't know. And I uh, didn't know what was about to happen. Four months later, we had her funeral. She went to be with the Lord victorious, overcoming the cancer. You say, but she's dead. No, no, she's not. Well, wait, there was a funeral. Yes, there was. In fact, sometimes people ask me, do you still see your casket sometimes when you're standing up here? About every week. Does it like, what, what does that do? Well, when it first happened, the first times it happened, it shut me down. Shut my, it shut me down. It doesn't now. You know, I remember, and the things that I have to remind myself of when those times come are the things that Jesus said, I remember what he said when he met two sisters at the grave of their brother, who was a friend of his. Jesus came to the cemetery, he came to the tomb of Lazarus to pay his respects, but he came also to perform a resurrection, to perform. He was, to, he was gonna bring Lazarus back to life. Jesus messed up funerals all the time. Every time he showed up, the person just came back to life. So, you know, Jesus would be the number one person you wanted to invite to the funeral of your loved one. Funeral directors didn't like it much, but he, you know, I mean, the, it, it, was, it was powerful to see this. But Jesus was having this interaction with Mary and Martha at the tomb of their brother. And I remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24. I wonder if you remember these words. Let me read them for you. Do you remember these words? He said, truly, truly, I say to you that whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He has passed from death to life. Now, let me emphasize one little word in there. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, whoever hears my word and believes in me, you have heard his word. Do you, if you believe in him, hear me. 
Here, this, is what, this is for you. If you believe in him who sent me, you have eternal life. No, not you will have. You have it now. You now have eternal life. When did it start? It started the moment you said yes to Jesus Christ. And you said, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord. Yes, I believe that God raised him from the dead. Jesus said in that moment, you received eternal life. That, you know what that means? That means you're never gonna die. Do you get that? Do you understand that that's part of the deal? You don't get to, to well, when I die, I'm gonna get, no, you get it now. You are alive now and you will never taste death. We don't get that. Let me try that again. You are, now you have eternal life and you're never going to die. All right, that's a good place for it, all right. That's what that means, folks. We don't get this. Oh, we fear, oh, but death. Listen, your body's gonna rest for a little while. It's gonna go to sleep. But you, the essence of you, who you are as a person, you're gonna go to be with the Lord. You're not gonna die. Your situation just gets better. It, why are we arguing? It just gets better. You get life, you get life, you got life now. You know what that means? You never again get to say, don't have enough time for that. Oh yes you do, you have eternity. You're never gonna run out of time. If you have anything right now, you have time. You have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus said to these sisters, listen, he said to these sisters, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, now hear this, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked them this question, do you Believe this. He who believes in me will never die. How can I think about my wife in a casket in front of me as I preach on Sunday morning? Because I know she did not die. I'm never going to die. And if you believe in Jesus, you're never going to die. That's a good place for a hallelujah right there. <laughs> Ooh, y'all, y'all not thinking about this now. Listen. Wake up, get that candy out of your head for a second. All right, here we go. All right, this is life. This is the message we have to take to a dying world who doesn't know what to do with death, who don't have any hope to overcome the grave. You have hope, you have life. You can live it out in front of them and say, you know what, if you'd like to never die, I got somebody I wanna tell you about. What does Easter mean that means that? You, thank you, there, there's one, there's one hallelujah in there. All right, we got one hallelujah in the room. No, that's all right, I know y'all aren't charismatic. We get, I get it, but, but the, you know, the reality is we don't really lean into this and think about this enough. Jesus said, now you have eternal life. You believe in me, you believe my word, you hear my words and you believe it, you now have eternal life. He who believes in me will live and never die. He asked the sisters a question. This morning I'm gonna ask you and then I'm gonna sit down. He asked them this question, do you believe this? And you know what? He asked you the same question. Do you 
believe this? Do you believe this? The Bible says that if we will confess with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We will live and never die. You will live and never die. Let me just leave that refrain in your heart. Hopefully it'll walk with you through the day. You will live and never die. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Stop worrying about dying. You're not gonna gonna die. How do you know? Jesus promised. You're not gonna die. You're not gonna die. I know that. I hope you know that too. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you for these good folks who are here this morning. May we go from here with a refrain in our hearts, knowing that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we will live and never die. We will know life everlasting. Not when we die, but when we, right now, when we, when we open our hearts to receive Jesus. And Father, if there are those here today who are living in guilt and living in despair and living in death, may this be the day that they meet Jesus Christ, the life giver, the hope giver, and the forgiveness that he offers. Lord, it's in his name we pray. And I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you would like to know what it means to live and never die, if you would like to know what it means to be forgiven of sin, if you would like to know how to find hope instead of despair, come right now. Let's talk to you. We'd like for you to come right now.